Hello, Mississippi and abroad. This is Parrish Alford, and you have joined the Justify Your Existence podcast. I'm joined also by Theo DeRosa, who covers Mississippi State for the Columbus Commercial Dispatch, and Michael Katz, our Ole Miss writer at the Daily Journal. We're going to talk Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and SEC. Lots of good things along the way. Guys, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Parrish. Uh, guess I'll see you in Tuscaloosa this weekend. I will join you in Tuscaloosa. I won't be in Baton Rouge for a pretty historical game in that series there, Michael Katz. Uh, how are you? I'm excited. Uh, you know, I did the math. Uh, Ole Miss's first two road games had a total of 71,000 people in the stands. Uh, between Georgia Tech and Vanderbilt. I know they're doing their best over there. Uh, this is going to have 102. I'm just, like, so excited to see a crowd like this. I, it, I mean, Knoxville amazing last year. I think it's going to be like that. I think so. Now, I will tell you, uh, there was not that crowd, and we're talking about the Ole Miss LSU series here. Theo and Mississippi State played there in September. I, I just thought the crowd was rather rather subdued for an LSU game, and, and they were not far removed from a, a loss against Florida State in the opener and, and really didn't play that well in that game. It's a very different team now. Um, but what did you think? I thought the atmosphere at, uh, at LSU was just not uh, not very impressive that night. They announced 98,000. Yeah, I also thought it was kind of lackluster. I remember going to a Missouri LSU game as a student. I'll give you one guess as to who won that game, by the way. But it was a great atmosphere. It was a night game. You know, the stadium was packed really loud. Maybe it's just being in the press box, but I didn't really get that sense against Mississippi State. Decent crowd, of course, size-wise, but as far as like the noise of impacting a game, it didn't really do that to me. Maybe that's because Mississippi State went up 13 to nothing in the first half, but LSU obviously came back and won, and even then I wasn't really getting the feeling that the crowd was impacting anything. Yeah, State got out in front, but they never extended the lead. LSU got the touchdown right before half, uh, which is always a telltale size. It's a thing you have to do in a comeback. Uh, but even then, in the second half, it was – I don't think it was really until uh, Austin Williams dropped the punt that that crowd really really got excited. Um, I'm a, I have found it interesting through the years, though, and, and this being the 50th anniversary of the 1972 clock game when one additional second remained on the clock – uh, LSU ran one more play, scored on a 10-yard pass from Burt Jones to Brad Davis, 117-16. People still talk about that game. Ole Miss players from that team and fans have contended for years that there's no way the previous play could have taken only, only three seconds. There were four seconds on the clock when they took that snap on the next-to-last play. So I had a, a fun piece to write. Uh, in on, online that uh, launched today at djournal.com. And uh, I ran down Burt Jones, the LSU quarterback from that game. Harry Harrison, uh, you know, has been in so many stories, uh, the Ole Miss uh, color analyst and All-American safety. Uh, he's talked about this game so, so many times through the years, and it's still very, very passionate about it. And I had spoken with Harry about it uh, many other times, including this story. Uh, but it was fun to uh, to talk with Burt Jones and kind of just get the the LSU perspective of it. So uh, anyway, a fun story, a, a good read there at djournal.com. Um, Michael, uh, take us up to uh, 
2022 here. Tell me why Ole Miss uh, will win this game or why they won't. I mean, I, I look at this team and and uh, they're going to have to handle a, a mobile quarterback. And I would say Jaden Daniels uh, will probably be the best mobile quarterback they faced. And, and they've had some issues with that. Yeah, uh, before I get to that, could you imagine what social media would be like if that sort of game happened now? Oh, man. It it, would be absolutely insane. Yeah, right. I mean, it's – and look, it it was – I guess it was as insane as it uh, could be for the time uh, without social media. I mean, you you talk to Harry Harrison here, and, of course, everyone focuses on – one second left on the clock. And and I agree, man, with all that, that happened on that previous play, a quarterback under center, a quarterback who backpedals into the pocket along the way, stops and, and puts the ball in the gut of the running back, a play action fake that uh, that nobody really bit on, and, and then kind of finds us. All of that goes on in three seconds. I, I'm not buying it, but to talk to Harry – there were so many other flaws in the finish of that game. Uh, one being the winning play, according to Harry, was a pick play where LSU receivers who were not the targets fired out and, and held on to Ole Miss defensive backs. That's one reason that uh, Brad Davis was so open. And then uh, Harry also claims that it wasn't a catch. What we have seen so many times on social media and clips re- repeated on Twitter of complete the catch, complete the catch. And we see guys who who don't have possession all the way to the ground to satisfy the NCAA rules. He, he claims that, uh, that Brad Davis uh, never had complete control and that uh, in today's college football, it would have been overturned on replay. Now think about that. Okay. You've already had the Ole Miss fans come out of the stands because they thought the game was over on the previous play. Then you have the LSU fans see touchdown and you reverse it on replay. What would that scene have been like? So that would have been uh, pretty interesting too. We need some sort of like Zapruder film to break down what happened. I, in life. Yeah. Can we? <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Not, anyway, that would be amazing. I hope guys that, uh, that, that we do something. And I think the answer to this is probably no, probably that we have not, but could we do something that would have people talking 50 years later? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think the closest we'll get is Tennessee fans throwing mustard and golf balls at Lane Kiffin. Yeah. I think that's probably as close as we're going to get these days. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but going to the game, uh, you, you brought up Jaden Daniels, and I think this is the interesting thing because you look at the quarterbacks, or I guess the offenses that Ole Miss has struggled to defend this year, it's been with mobile quarterbacks. Uh, when Tulsa's backup, uh, Braylon Braxton came in, it's a very, you know, Ole Miss was, uh, Tulsa was sort of a, an air raid uh, coming in, and they their backup has to come in. The run game opened up completely. They end up running for 262 yards, I think it was. Uh, and they had a, a really hard time getting Braxton, you know, to the turf. Uh, last week with Robbie Ashford, who, you know, has struggled throwing the ball. Uh, you know, he runs for two touchdowns. Auburn runs for 301 yards, I think it was. And Tank Bigsby has 170 of those. 
um, you know, even if it's not necessarily the quarterback doing a ton of the running production, I think when that threat is there, it has given Ole Miss problems and it has opened up running games for the opposition. Obviously, another problem has been Ole Miss tackling that has been a little bit sloppy the last few uh, the last few weeks. But really, uh, dual threat, you know, quarterbacks and that sort of run game has sort of been a, an issue for Ole Miss this year. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. Is is it different? Have they have they figured out what's been going wrong? You know, Jane Daniels, like you said, is is definitely the better version of the of those sorts of quarterbacks that they've seen. He's he's the leading rusher at LSU. He's thrown 10 touchdowns, only one pick. He's done a pretty nice job of, 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 of securing the ball. Uh, their receivers are starting to get more involved. Uh, you combine all of that with by far the toughest environment they will have played in so far. It, it's going to be really tough. This is actually the first one I've, I've picked uh, almost not to win. I just think it's um, – this stretch of games is going to be really, really tough. And – uh, you know, I, if they drop one or two, I don't think it's the end of the world, but I just think this feels like um, a game that's going to be really, really tough. Could, could they could they win? Absolutely. They are they are very I think Ole Miss is probably the better team, but I just think circumstance, it's going to be really, really hard. You mean it's going to be tougher than whatever Vanderbilt Stadium is now called? Yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, more power to the uh, 30,000 or whatever it was announced there. Uh, I actually uh, found out that that stadium hasn't been renovated since like Clark Lee was born, which is um, something that should probably be looked into. I think it was like 1981. Um, but, you know, they're doing their best over there. It's obviously a very different uh, sit- uh, scenario than uh, that the money LSU's bringing in, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be wild. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting also to see how all of these, you know, they're experienced players, but they're not players that have experience in these sorts of situations. You know, Jackson Dart played games at USC, but I'm a Pac-12 guy. And there's, no, there's no Tiger Stadium there, uh, you know, despite, you know, what Oregon and, and Utah and, and SC are doing when they're, you know, at their best. Um no one they haven't seen a place like that and so hey there's pac 12 uh, after dark man that's 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 electric isn't it it's more it's all it's it's more fun if you're watching it on tv i don't think it's fun for anybody in the stadium uh but uh yeah, yeah no it's 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 gonna be totally different and it's gonna be interesting to see how they handle all of that theo mississippi state in tuscaloosa alabama coming off a loss i think i counted up like five times state has faced Alabama coming off a loss. It's like they're, they're the designated Alabama after loss team. You know, if, if there could, could be such a thing. And, and last year was what, 49 to nine, a, a 40 point gap. Um, you asked Mike Leach during the week, which I thought was a good question. Remembering back to, um, Oh, I'm, I'm blacking out our linebacker, Jet Johnson. Okay. Remembering Jet Johnson's comments about last year, looking across as the game wore on, seeing the A on the jerseys, Alabama, and, and basically implying that that was a factor in that game kind of getting out of hand. Uh, and I thought uh, Mike's response was pretty, uh, 
you know, pretty, it was pretty Mike. Well, if they're looking at that, they're looking at the wrong things. But uh, what, uh, what do you think about that? I mean, basically, uh, Jet Johnson implied that uh, that they were intimidated by Alabama as the game went on. Uh, was that uh, was that a factor last year? Is that a factor this year? Yeah. First off, I wasn't the one that asked that. Although I might have, if uh, Stefan actually was the one that asked that question of Mike Leach. Good response, definitely about how yeah. MSU should focus on itself, not about Alabama. I see, you know, where Jet's coming from there. You know, you look at Alabama, think about all the history associated with that program. Hard to think about, you know, beating that team. But you're in the SEC too. I mean, you've got to be able to think that you're on the same plane with them. And I guess for the past 14 years, you haven't been. Alabama has won 14 straight in that series. Don't think Mississippi State scored a touchdown in Tuscaloosa since Dak Prescott was there. And, you know, it's a tough to take on Alabama coming off a loss. I'm sure the intimidation maybe played a part in it, but I also think just Alabama being ridiculously talented year after year does too. Like you said, I mean, Mississippi State keeps getting this angry Alabama team coming off losses, especially that they're going to Tuscaloosa this week. It's going to be really tough. And the way MSU played against Kentucky, I don't really have a lot of confidence they're going to steal one at Bryant-Tenney Stadium. Well, can Mississippi State be angry coming off a loss? Because that was a pretty uh, a pretty disappointing performance in Kentucky last week, given what we had seen from this team in three straight home games and two big conference wins against Texas A&M and Arkansas, really blowout wins there, lots of energy at Davis Wade Stadium. But now they've gone on the road two times in conference play. And while they have a, a nice road win, earlier in the season against a rebuilding Arizona team when State went out there, Pac-12 after dark, 10 o'clock Central time start, and really dominated Arizona. It's been a very different story in conference play. Uh, the two road games State has had against SEC teams are their two losses, and really uh, a lot of self-inflicted damage uh, in Baton Rouge against LSU in a game that, uh, that they should have won. And against Kentucky, not so much turnovers and mistakes, I thought, as just poor execution. Um, should State uh, respond differently? I know they, I know they should, but do you think they will respond differently to that disappointment uh, going into Tuscaloosa? Will we see a team that plays harder and executes better, even if they don't win? Yeah, I was going to say that might be kind of hard to tell the impact because you can play a lot better and still lose to Alabama by a lot more than you lost to Kentucky. But in terms of, you know, not committing 13 penalties, not turning the ball over, being more efficient on offense, I think, you know, there are ways to tell. And I don't know if we're going to see that. Alabama will have an impact on that. But Mississippi State quarterback Will Rogers said, this loss should wake us up, referring to the Kentucky game. Of course, though, he did say the same thing after the LSU loss. So it begs the question, like, did he fall back asleep in three weeks in the middle there? Mike Leach kind of intimated that he, he did, that the team was, quote, fat, dumb, and happy after its three straight wins leading into the Kentucky game. I can and relate that, to that for the record. Yeah, that's me watching Pac-12 games at like 1.30 a.m. But, yeah, that uh, Leach intimated that uh, Mississippi State kind of got, kind of got complacent and that that loss – uh, led to the loss at Kentucky. They have struggled on the road. I mean, last year you saw the loss at Memphis, the loss at Arkansas as well. Those were both 
close, winnable games. Of course, three of the losses last year were at home to LSU, Ole Miss, Alabama. But yeah, Mississippi State going on the road again. I mean, they haven't really had a lot of success there under Leach. And of course, this is the toughest game on the schedule when you factor in who they're playing and where they're playing it. Well, and, and in addition to uh, preparing for a strong opponent, Mississippi State has had, you know, the additional uh, bad news uh, uh, on Wednesday of, of Sam Westmoreland's death. And, and we've seen a lot of reaction to that on Twitter and, and uh, just a, you know, a, a tragic uh, circumstance that, that they're dealing with for that family. And then for uh, the MSU football team, that's just there's a lot going on right now, a lot of moving parts. Uh, both of you respond to this, please, uh, on the Alabama subject. Uh, is Alabama more vulnerable right now? I mean, I, I look at this team, and yes, they only have one loss. But when you when you look at their schedule, you've got uh, the the blowout wins against uh, Utah State, uh, my alma mater, uh, Louisiana Monroe, and and then Vanderbilt. Okay games you would think Alabama would would blow out. But Arkansas threatened this team for a little while. It was 27 to 21 for a stretch, I think, before Alabama pulled away. And and then you have uh, two other games that legitimately could have been losses for this team. They only have one loss. Credit them for making the plays to win against Texas and Texas A&M. But both of the Texas schools really had chances to win against Alabama is Alabama more vulnerable right now. Theo, you mentioned this team that just reloads with talent every year, and it has looked like that for a while. But I thought they looked different at quarterback, like everybody else. You know, you take your starting quarterback out of the game, as they did against Texas A&M, and you look different. Well, we've seen Alabama make those changes before when they didn't look different. So what, what do you all think? Is this team more vulnerable? Yeah, I don't know. They definitely don't look as strong as I thought heading into the season. I know they lost a lot of talent at you know, receiver and all the guys that you lose every year, but you return the Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young. You return the guy that I voted for the, to win the Heisman Trophy, Will Anderson. And you think you know they'd have a pretty good shot at being even better, but we haven't really seen that. You've seen those struggles against the teams you mentioned. Of course, Texas, you know, actually having a pretty good season. That's a true road game early in the year. You can kind of explain some of the struggles, but talking to Nick Kelly from the Tuscaloosa News, just he was just saying Alabama just keeps shooting itself in the foot with penalties, with these miscues. You saw that messed up punt return against Tennessee. I think that's a big part of why they're not playing like Alabama, but at this point it starts to become your identity if you do it for seven straight games. So I think they're vulnerable, but I still think they're a very good team that, you know, capable of winning every game 58 to three. So we'll see. Yeah. Once is an isolated incident. Twice is a trend. Michael, are they vulnerable? Yes. So I'm looking up the, um, the, the, the penalty stats and Alabama has the most penalties in the nation right now. Um, they've got 66 uh, right ahead of Utah state at 65. That's just very, that's not what you think of when you think of, Nick Saban discipline teams. Um, that's one thing I've, I've been hearing in sort of the, the discourse is that this is a, a uh, this is a team that's kind of been shooting itself in the foot a, a little bit. And um, it happened against Tennessee. It's, it's kind of been happening all year, which is just, it's very weird to see Saban teams do that. 
Um, but I mean, the talent's still there. I, I think the receiver situation has been maybe slower developing than uh, they might have anticipated. I think everybody just assumes when you have the Heisman Trophy winner quarterback, the receivers will figure it out. But the receivers they lost were really, really good. Um, you know, Jameer Gibbs is a great running back. You know, the running game hasn't been the issue. Um, I think the receiver situation is is maybe a little bit slower evolving than would have liked, but it's just really they've they've really just been um, uncharacteristically you know shooting themselves in the foot, and you know it's a big if you know we're halfway through the season and these are things that are still happening, but you know if they clean that up, they're going to be really good. And like, how often have we seen you know? Uh, Alabama will lose a game. Everybody's like, oh, Alabama's done. And then they go on like the revenge tour and win their next, you know, five games, but, you know, three touchdowns each. Uh, you know, we've seen them do this before and figure it out. But this is a, a, a different feel just in terms of, of them kind of getting in their own way. Yeah. They literally did that last year. Last year. I mean, they went to the national title game. So we'll see. But yeah. I remember being in the press box at Ole Miss in 2014 after Ole Miss had won a big, big home game. Game day was there that day. Uh, Bo Wallace, that team, Sinquez Golson seals it with the interception in the end zone. I can remember overhearing a national media member on the phone talking to an editor. Uh, they were discussing the story, and, and he said, yeah, yeah I, I think this is it. We're talking about 2014 now. I think, uh, yeah, you, you can see some cracks. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's the dynasty. This this might be the beginning. Yeah. Well. And here we are eight years later. Yeah, that that, that was a whiff. <laughs> but, uh, hey, we, we, we've all had the whiffs. Uh, Michael, back to Ole Miss LSU real quick, and then I want to hear from Theo on basketball. Um, you touched on tackling with this Ole Miss team. I've seen and you have seen – Ole Miss, you've seen Lane Kiffin invest so much, it seems, in recruiting defensive backs, really working to upgrade that position with talent and depth. And it seems like they're there. But right now I see a team that if they can string out a play, they're going to pursue hard, they're going to be there, and, and they're going to make the play that way. But if you get them in that one-on-one -on -one play on the perimeter, that's uh, that's where the tackling really kind of the tackling issue seems to shine brightest. Um, can they flip a switch? Can they get better at tackling on the fly, or is that just going to be something they try to work around? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, they're, they're obviously if if you're in one-on-one -on -one situations, you you want to be able to make those plays. But I think, like you said, the key is to have that strength in numbers that it's, you don't get yourself in those one-on-one -on -one situations that everybody is in the right place at the right time. So that if one guy misses it, there's another two or three guys there. So, uh, you know, they're, they're saying all the right things in terms of, you know, they're, they're doing extra drills and the bags and all of that stuff. It's the same stuff they said after the Tulsa game, which, I mean, I don't know what else you can say other than we've been missing tackles. Um, but you know, at this point in the season, like it's I think it's a difficult balance because you need to work on tackling, but you also got to keep your team healthy. And so I think it's it's how do you sort of make those two things happen uh, without, you know, getting guys hurt? So uh, it's yeah, I, I I don't know if it can get significantly better. It can definitely get cleaned up. 
Uh, but I think the best thing they can do is rally in numbers and make it so there are less of those one-on-one -on -one situations. All right, let's shift gears, talk basketball a little bit. It's it's coming. You know, we're, we're going to have uh, our first uh, overlap season uh, of the athletic year. Uh, practice is underway. Theo, you were in Birmingham for SEC basketball media days yesterday. Tell us a little bit about uh, Chris Jan's first year. I mean, he says they're an NCAA tournament lock, right? No, the players seem to, but uh, Jans is, you know, acknowledging the reality of the situation. He's one of five new coaches in the SEC, six if you count Mike White leaving Florida for Georgia. And he knows that that comes with a rebuild in this day and age. When you have a change in leadership, players enter the portal, players leave. And Mississippi State saw that. More than half the roster entered the transfer portal. Two guys actually that entered and then came back were DJ Jeffries and Shaquille Moore. So that's big gains for them. You have Tolu Smith back. You have Cameron Matthews. You've got some transfers like Deshaun Davis from Oregon State, Eric Reed from Southeast Missouri. You can see, you know, the pieces are there, but the pieces were there last year with a lot of these same guys, plus a potential professional guard in Iverson Molinar, who ended up going undrafted, and they still didn't make the tournament. Now you, of course, have a new coach. Ben Howland fired in March kind of a new style it sounds like they're going to be more up-tempo running the floor more and Tolu Smith at least sounded pretty excited for that Jan seems to have a pretty big focus on defense as well they're picked 10th in the preseason SEC media poll I don't know if that adds up to a tournament appearance right now I think it might take a year or two but you know they're optimistic these players haven't been to the tournament with Mississippi State at least since 2019 and they would love to get back just sounds like that's the biggest goal for the team right now. Of course, I mean, it's pretty much every team's biggest goal. Whether it's realistic, we will see. Uh, we hear buy-in so much. The the buy-in phrase is kind of like the, the the hot new term when you have a, a new coach and a new system and a transition like that. Uh, what do you think the buy-in is with these players and Chris Jans? Have, have you been around enough to uh, – to get a feel on that, I know that uh, the guys they take to media days are typically going to be ones they think are bought in. Yeah, I mean, we've seen like 30 minutes from one practice. So as yeah. far as that, it's kind of hard to tell. But based on what they've said, I think so. I mean, Jans basically recruited Jeffries to come back after he entered the transfer portal. And Jans is, you know, he said Tully Smith's been smiling ear to ear, hearing about like the inside out kind of scheme they plan to run. So you can see where Jans appeals to these guys as far as just like overall impact. Jeffrey said um, Jans is going to Jans told Jeffries that he would be unlike any other coach Jeffries had ever had. And so far, Jeffrey said Jans is right. And just Smith with the, the game scheme, trying to make him like a feature point in the offense again. I think you can see where at least those two players are bought in. And I mean, you obviously saw several, I think four or five division one transfers including Will McNair from New Mexico State, come over with Chance. So you can see where he's recruiting the pieces to the program. But anytime you have to replace like 10 guys in the first year, it may not be very smooth right off the bat. Michael, uh, is this the year that Kermit Davis gets Ole Miss back to the NCAA tournament? I think that's the hope. And I know that was kind of the hope last year. A lot of things did go wrong uh, just in terms of, of injuries and whatnot. Um, and I know Kermit has said that, you know, if this was, if they had been healthy, he felt like they would have been a tournament team. Uh, obviously, we'll never know because they weren't healthy. 
but I think based on, you know, Deshaun Ruffin is good to go. And that's huge. Uh, he was, he was so dynamic as a true freshman last year before his knee injury, him being back, I think is going to be really, really big. He, he was, he was, he was really, he was really, really good uh, in SEC play. So I think that's, that's huge. Uh, you know, Matt Morrell, I think is, uh, you know, you want to see a little bit, maybe more consistency, but there's a lot of talent there. I think they have high hopes for him. And then with all the transfers they brought in, I, I think they like where they're at. They've got good recruiting coming in, um, some some nice, you know, four-star uh, caliber, you know, guys. They, they, they picked up the transfers that they feel kind of fit what they want to do. Uh, you know, the SEC is brutal. There, there's no way around that. But, uh, you know, if, if the things fall their way, yeah, I could see it happening. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's – there's so many uncontrollables and health is one of them. Uh, but if everything does go right, yeah, I think this is a team that, that could be really solid. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we talk Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and the SEC. For Theo DeRosa and Michael Katz, I am Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us.